I am so excited to be here this morning. This is such a great week. Uh, both of my daughters, uh, for, for Pam and I, are coming home this week, so we're very excited. And, um, and then within 24 hours, we will not be excited because our house will become, right, when college students return, uh, it becomes this wonderful chaos. And we have become... We've become old really quickly, uh, but uh, I, I love this season. I'm really looking forward uh, to spending it with the family with you uh, on, on Christmas Eve. And as we're talking in the sermon series about a simple story, uh, this, uh, the, the first week in the series, Pastor Calvin uh, talked about how God loves the simple, and last week, uh, Pastor Ben talking about a special gift, a, a simple gift and, and how we have to receive it. And some of the questions he asked as he was talking about his parents giving certain gifts uh, resonated with me. Um, um, it caused me to reflect on the gifts that were given to me as a, as a, at Christmas as a child. And my, fa- uh, my family tradition was to open gifts on Christmas morning. I had strange friends that did it Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve. And if you're one of those families, uh, we have prayer in the back for you afterwards. Um, But my family often went overboard on gifts, and it was common for my parents to give me and my my siblings kind of one large gift. It was kind of the, right, kind of the, the big thing at Christmas. Now, one year, my parents started a new tradition to the surprise of me and my brother and sister. We unwrapped most of our, most of our presents, and then my father got up. And he pulled out an envelope, and he always had his traditional Santa hat on, the, the red hat, and he announced something new. He says, we are now going to play Christmas Greed. And my brother and sister and I all looked at each other. Out of the envelope, he pulled out one $20 bill and then another $20 bill. And he looked at my sister, Carrie, and he says, do you want the money? or what's in the box in the garage. And we were baffled. We were like, what is this? And my sister took the box in the garage. Now, um, uh, all of a sudden, this big box came in. It was large. It was heavy. It was wrapped up. And my sister tore into it, only to find it stuffed with newspaper and a lot of my father's discarded tools. Right? She, you know, I started laughing, you know, as my sister's face kind of went, be, you know, she kind of had this bewildered look on her face when she realized that she'd been tricked. Right? And we still have, I still have this picture of my sister holding up a hammer like, what is this? It's like, that's your Christmas present, right? And then my dad turned to me and he said, Eric, do you want the money or what's in the box in the master bedroom? Now, after seeing my sister's experience, I locked in the money. Right, my dad is playing for well, those who are older. He, it's let's it's our version of let's make a deal. So I take the money, right, and he goes on to my brother. Now the game continued until ultimately we all traded and received our most thoughtful gift from our parents. And every year through high school, we would play Christmas greed in accordance to fulfill the prophecies in all of Scripture within our family. This became part of our Christmas story. Now, now, really, Christmas greed was not actually about greed. It was not the Wall Street, right, greed is good. It wasn't that. It was this, uh, this idea that my parents had that 
um, that they would actually take um, uh, time, creativity, to think about the gifts that we were going to get and how to add mystery and excitement and energy to our Christmas morning. And every year it would change. Every year it would shift. The game would be the same, but there was always something that I you just never saw coming. You know, my 11-year-old brain would never uh, wrap, uh, um, you know, wrap myself around what was about to happen because I would go, oh, it's probably going to be like last year, and it would shift to something different. And there were years that we received gifts that we were dumbfounded by. Like, I had no idea our parents would do this. Or even, how did you sneak this into the garage without us actually knowing it? Right? My parents put a lot of time and, and energy into doing that. And it made Christmas as a, as a child very special. Of course, my friends found out about it um, in our neighborhood and, uh, and it became kind of the, the, the thing of legend. Now, in the same way, when I think about the Christmas story that, that we have read through the past few weeks, almost every part of the story of Christ's birth is out of the ordinary. From the prophecies to the announcements, every piece of the story is something that nobody saw coming, even though when we look back at the scriptures, it's almost there in plain sight. But the way God does it is full of personality, right? It's, and, and, and how he chooses people. As time goes on and we look at that, um, especially of our last two sermons, we see, wow, God is extraordinary. The way that he did it. It doesn't always fit neatly into culture, but eternally, uh, it just makes so much sense. Now, at Christmas, we celebrate this gift, this gift that God gave us in the person of Jesus. But there is someone else who also gave us a gift, and it was Mary. And it's her story I want to talk about this morning, and I want us to consider. Mary gave us all the gift that we receive at Christmas in the, in the person of Jesus. The Christmas story and celebration hinges on Mary's simple response. Understanding Mary's simple response is a key to us experiencing Christmas. And and embracing Mary's simple response is what allows Christmas to become transformational. As the Fungs read the story this morning, um, we are going to walk through the first uh, chapter of Luke and the story of Mary and how Jesus was to be born. The first thing we have is what I just would easily call the announcement. The angel comes to Mary and says, Greeting, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Right? Then he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of David, his father, his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, many times we think about the baby Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah come to earth. But when you look at the announcement, the announcement is, is really significant. Yes, he is a Savior, but he 
But the angel is announcing the coming of the Son of God. Now, when we say Son of God, sometimes this can be confusing. Uh, Sometimes the definition. But let me just give you a quick definition of Son of God. When Jesus uses that term, Son of God, when it's described, it is not God Jr. It is not one day. I'm gonna. It's not. It's not that. It is not the JV club. Right? Son of God means. I have the characteristics, I'm the exact representation, the characteristics of God. I'm the son of God, the exact representation. That's why Jesus uses those terms, son of man and son of God. I have the son of man, right? I, have the, I, have, I am 100% God. I'm the son of God, uh, 100% man, and I'm the son of God. I'm 100% God. And when Jesus used this term, the people understood that he was putting himself equal with God. And that's why at some points, right, controversy in the religious community or in Nazareth, they drove him out to the side of the hill and Nazareth is built on a hill to throw him off of it because what he said was blasphemous, right? So when Mary is hearing this, it's not that you're going to have a special child, a magic child, right? As sometimes our culture or cultures would say that Jesus, it wasn't that. It was that he was going to be God himself come to earth. The second thing is that he is announcing a king. He will be the king of kings. And so the angel is really specific about the language he's using. It's the throne of David. Wow, that has weight. Right? And not only is he going to be a king, his kingdom will never end. It is the eternal kingdom. So as the angel is saying this, they are painting a picture of the authority of Jesus that he's coming. Jesus is a savior. He's a prophet. He's, he's special. But this is beyond all of those things. He's announcing that Jesus is the king of kings, and he's coming to be with us. This is Christmas. Uh, Harry Brown says it this way. In my journey, I've come to understand there's a big difference between a gospel of salvation and a gospel of the kingdom. With a gospel of salvation, you get believers in Jesus who inherit heaven and escape hell. But with a gospel of the kingdom, you get followers of Jesus who seek to obey the king in everything. And the difference is profound and puts Christmas in a whole new light. Here's the good news that Mary got and that we have. Jesus is the king. One of the last things he says to his followers is this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. It's been given to me. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. The God we believe in, the God we follow, we follow into his kingdom. And at Christmas, uh, I take heart, my friends. The God we believe in, he is the king of kings. And though we don't experience that in full now, one day we will face-to-face, and his authority does rest here on earth, and it does break through. But this Jesus, this baby, he is the king with a kingdom that, would never, that will never end. Mary is also troubled by this. Right? Anytime God comes near in Scripture, it's troubling, and it's good news. This is some of the best news, and still Mary is troubled. When, and, and the thought is this, is that sometimes we forget 
that God is really God, that he's more powerful than we could, than, than we can understand. He's bigger than anything we can imagine. You can imagine very large things. He's actually bigger. Um, he overflows in seemingly endless universe. Every beautiful thought you have about God is true. And when his presence comes near, even somebody coming from his presence comes near. It overwhelms us. Mary is overwhelmed. Remember Moses. The people, imagine, the, people, the children of Israel, they come out of Egypt. They watch God do miracle after miracle. They end up at Mount Sinai. And then God comes and rests on that mountain. And right before Moses gets the, just as Moses gets the Ten Commandments, just let me read this verse from Exodus chapter 20. It says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us, our, speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have us speak to God, or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. When God comes near, it can be overwhelming. And that's a good thing, because he's really the God we believe in. He's not just this fictitious picture. He's not just a, a very powerful human being. He is the God of the universe with all authority, all power, and he's wonderful. And what's comforting here is that it's almost always the same thing. What does the angel say to Mary? Do not be afraid. Mary, do not be afraid. What does Moses say to the people? God is for you. He says, do not be afraid. Even though the presence of God is that powerful, this Christmas, as Jesus comes, right, might we be overwhelmed with who God is. And then Mary asks a very good question, and it's an honest question. She says, well, how can this be, right? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? I don't know if you know how things work down here, right? This always was a little bit comical to me, but it's the very real question for a young, uh, you know, a young person engaged to be married would ask. You're telling me I'm going to have a child but I'm not going to have a child. And then the angel explains it to her. This is going to be from God. You are going to get pregnant. Right? Every, every step along the way, God, the, the angel is sharing with her. And so the first thing I want to say is this about the question is this, is Mary is honest with God. How can this be? That honesty and the question is really important. God uh, asking God how is is a question of faith, right? God, how is that going to happen? What is happening, Father? That's not a question of doubt. I'm seeking God to understand your heart and your right. And sometimes when we it comes to faith and doubt, right? It's it is it is full. It's for us as people. And as followers of God, it is really important for us to ask God why and how. It's admitting, God, you have the answers and I don't. 
I'm taking this posture. I need your guidance. I want your guidance. Right? The opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And when we come down to asking God questions, like Mary did, from that place of really wanting to understand his heart, that many times is the place where our faith actually gets moved. What sort of questions are you asking God in your life? We find that many times the people who ask the best questions of God, he answers. Um, This is a question of faith. Uh, Mary also um, understood the ramifications. If I'm going to be pregnant, what does this mean for my relationship with Joseph? Wait a minute. What do you mean I'm going to be? What's this mean for my relationship with my family? Would I be cast out of my family? Being pregnant without being married? Right? What does this mean to my village where everybody will know? You, don't, you can't hide this stuff. Right? This is a society that, right, that this, this shifts your entire reputation in life. This has a, a mark on your family. God, is this what you're calling me to do? This doesn't seem like the, right, the, a person full of faith would do. So Mary understood the reactions, and she also knew that it would be costly to follow God, right? In order for me to do God's will, it's a, it's, it's a teeter-totter. In order for me to do God's will, sometimes I, I lose ground. We saw Jesus model that constantly. He would love people. The religious people would say, wait a minute, you can't spend time with those people. He goes, in order to love them, I, I lose ground. I don't care if you understand. I, I'm doing what God calls me to do. Right? Have you ever have you ever had to make a decision that cost you? Really cost you. God, I will follow you even though I don't think people are going to be. Maybe in your work, maybe in your schooling, maybe in your with your family. Those are very difficult decisions. Um and, and uh my wife and I in our in our lives we we've had a we've had a handful of those where we've had to say we this is, this is the way common sense would tell us to do, but we feel like God is calling us to do something different because it's going to cost us, right? So then the third part in this story is we have the response, right? The proclamation, the announcement, Mary's honest question, and then the angel responds. In that response, when he says that he, the angel has three, that, those three points. Uh, these, I'm sorry, these three points. First, he says, this is what God's going to do. He goes, here's God's plan. This is a big thing. I'm giving you God's plan. The Holy Spirit is going to do this and this, and this is what's going to happen. Right? And then he says, even your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant right now. Whoa. He goes, God goes, let me confirm this for you. And not only does God confirm it that way, God also goes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, come here. (laughs) He goes, take Mary as your wife. She's pregnant. This is from me. He doesn't announce this to everybody, but to the key people within her family and within her life. God says, I'm going to ask you to do something hard. I'm going to give you the plan. And God also says, but I'm also going to confirm it. I know what I'm asking you to do. And then the last part of this 
the angel says, not only here's the plan, not only is God going to confirm it so that your family will say, okay, maybe this is from God. The last thing he says is this, for no word from God will ever fail. Now, this seems like a nice statement, right? It's something that we would say as pastors to you. God's word would never fail, right? But this in the argument, this is the last thing he says. Oh, and by the way, the angel is saying, God said this. In the spiritual realm, this is the final piece. Oh, and by the way, this is what God said he'd do. The universe will fly apart before something that God said will not come true. Everything he says comes true. And the angel within the spiritual realm, this is the argument, right? You, there's no cross-examination for the, the word of God. Jesus uses it three times straightforward to the enemy when he's being tempted. This is what God's word said. So what? You know, that's it. There's, there's, no, other, there, there's no other adding to it. Right. And so um, and so with Mary to say, by the way, if God said this, it will not fail. We can trust in God's word. We can trust in his his character. Right? His character says that he is faithful, and if he says something, it's going to happen. It might not happen the way we think or in the time frame we think. That can be very confusing for us. I know here on earth, having an eternal God with us stuck in time. But this is it. And this is a great, this is also just, a, it's, a, it's a great template for prayer. God, God, show me your plan. Confirm in me your plan. Right? What, the, the confirmation. Is there somebody you can bring to me to confirm that I'm going in the right direction? And then the last one, God, what is your character and what you're calling me to do? Anything within your home, any difficulty you're going through, anything on your heart to say, God, right? What's your plan? Confirm it to me. And then, God, what is your character in this? When we hold on to the character of God, um, it, makes, it makes the noise of our culture fade away. And so then Mary's response is this, and it's very simple. But in this simple response is everything about Christmas. I am the Lord's servant, Mary asked. May your word be fulfilled. So, So Mary's response is relational, directional, and trusting. I belong to the Lord. It's relational. I belong to the Lord. I am the Lord's servant. I belong to the Lord. I'm his servant. I will follow. It's directional. Right? I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me. I will go in that direction. One of the big big pivots legitimately in my life has been from saying to God, um, God, come bless what I'm doing. Rather than pivoting and saying, God, I will follow in your direction. And those are two very different things. Spiritual maturity goes to Father what are you calling me to do? And many times I do believe, and this is Mary's example, is many times we're saying, God, come work over here. I'm excited about these things. And God goes, I love you. And those things aren't unimportant to me. But I'm really excited about what's happening over here. 
Come follow me where I'm working. Those who seek after God find him. That takes real effort and energy. Mary's simple response says, very, very, very easily, says, I belong to the Lord. I will follow. I will go in your direction. The joy of Christmas is possible because Mary loved God more than her relationships, her comfort, and her reputation. Let me say that again. The joy of Christmas is possible. The gift that we received in Christmas, because Mary loved God more than her relationships, her comfort, or her reputation. What allows Christmas become become transformational is embodied in Mary's simple response, I, I am the Lord's servant. What, become, what allows us, our lives, to become resilient and full of faith is that simple response, God, I belong to you. What would you have for me? What gives us depth and strength in times of trouble? It's that simple response. Okay, Father, I, I don't know everything, but I know you do. I belong to you. Your will in my life. Where does intimacy come from in our lives? Where Christmas goes from an event to a place where we're overwhelmed with the character of God. It starts with Mary's response. God, I'm your servant. I belong to you. Whatever you would want me to do. I will love the difficult relative coming over this Christmas. Yes, even them. Oh, wait, I'm the difficult relative coming over for Christmas. Oh, I will, I will, I will follow you. When we face this Christmas, when we face the same things, new things, hard things, might that be our prayer? When we face things that might, uh, uh, might challenge us, that might, might that be our prayer? God loves us. Mary's response uh, to God of being a servant. Uh, I hope that this, this Christmas season, this week, that might be your prayer every morning when you wake up and every night when you go to sleep. Father, I'm your servant. Let's pray. Uh, would you place your hands out in front of you like you're going to receive a gift? And would you just whisper that to the Father? I am your servant. Father, I belong to you. Father, we as a church, we want to belong to you as a CLC family. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Mary's sacrifice. Um, that this young woman uh, followed you. Might we have a heart like Mary to love you enough to trust you even when we don't understand all of the ramifications. We don't understand all of the dominoes that would fall. And Father, uh, we give you our week, we give you our lives, uh, we give you our hearts and our minds. We belong to you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for sending Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, for we willingly join and bow to him in this kingdom that has no end. Amen.